right. Good morning. Hey, that actually wasn't too bad. I'm not even going to do a second pass on that one. Good morning. All right. How many of you guys know who Jonathan Wesley is? History buffs, someone who knows who Jonathan Wesley is. Oh, man, that is a scathing rebuke on our American education system. Jonathan Wesley, he was a famous pastor, evangelist uh, in the 1700s. Uh, he eventually became very influential. He founded uh, the Methodist movement, and uh, it's, uh, he's the father in many ways of the Wesleyan denomination, of which we're connected. And uh, he, he, he was, uh, yeah, again, big guy in history, very influential. And uh, the story goes, one day he was out in the fields preaching to a bunch of farmers, because that's what you did back then. You went out into the field. He didn't have a megaphone. He just yelled as loud as you could and you preached to the farmers. And so he was out preaching to the farmers and he was preaching about money that day. And he was teaching about money, preaching about money. And uh, the, the first point uh, of the, the teaching was get all you can. And the, one, of the, uh, one of the farmers nudged his friend and said, yeah, that's good. And the second point was save all you can. The farmer's like, that's even better, right? And then his third point, his drive-it-home point was, give all you can. And the farmer's like, now he's gone and spoiled it. <laughs> right? And so how many of you do not raise your hands can resonate a little bit with those farmers when there's a giving talk about money? Right? I think it's baked in. It's, uh, it's pretty common when a church starts a series about money, which we did about a month ago, we've been through in this whole month about money. Oh, yeah. Or you come to a church and they say, hey, we're going to teach about giving today. There's probably at least a little part of you, maybe a large part of you that's like, oh, man, dang. I need to step back a little bit. Maybe there's a subtle feeling of threat. And if that's you, I think you're very normal. It's hard to talk about money in our culture, right? It's really hard. Uh, Jonathan Wesley also had famously said that the last thing typically to be converted in a man's life when he comes to Christ is his purse. I don't know how many men were carrying a purse around, but it was his purse or his wallet or his Venmo account. That's the last thing to be converted because it's hard. It's really hard to follow Jesus' teachings about money, especially, I think, in our culture. It's really hard. I think we also, uh, not only is it kind of a culturally taboo topic to talk about money, like how much you make, hey, how much do you make? That's like not okay, right? Or hey, how much do you give? Here's how much I give. I don't know. Like uh, Ben was uh, joking, I think, last week when he was like, Dave's gonna get, preach next week. He's the only one who knows how much everyone gives and he's gonna share a lot of stats with you, a lot of information. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna start putting the list up. I even thought about putting up a list of fake names with money beside it. And then I'm like, no, that's too far. I think I, think I would lose a bunch of them. I'm not going to do that. But right, not only do we have a lot of cultural sensitivity, uh, taboo topic a little bit, but I think there's a lot of cynicism towards the church in particular when it comes to teaching about money. Right? The news is rife, both recently and in you know, many centuries past, about abuses by church leaders, by churches who's fleecing their congregations so that they can get more money. Right? It goes back a long way. Maybe uh, you're, you, you, you sit in a church, you hear someone give about money, and your first thought is, that pastor is just wanting to get more money in his salary. He's wanting the new car or the new jet 
So I just share this with you tongue in cheek. This, uh, when we were trying to decide what was the, gonna be the, the sermon uh, series uh, image, this was a, one of the joking ones I put in the, the options for Josh and Ben to choose from. Right, this is though I think, uh, it's kind of our caricature of what we're afraid of. These are some popular kind of prosperity gospel, send me your money and I'll pray for you and then God will make you rich kind of folks who really have a lot of jets. So there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of, I think, appropriately placed cynicism around this topic. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it's appropriate. And so it is an out there problem with those people, with the church, with people in leadership positions in general. There's a lot of that stuff. It's right. But I think also there's a problem in here. There's a problem in here because all of us, by default, bring in a heart set of materialism and greed. I just lost you guys. You're like, oh, now that's offensive, right? Now he's gone and spoiled it. If you leave, though, right now, we'll all see who got up and left. <laughs> so it's, maybe you need to wait a few minutes. We all bring in, we've talked about this throughout this series and, in, and uh, some of the teachings we've given in the past, we all bring in, by default, as sinful people, and especially, I think, as Americans, this default bent towards looking to money for our, stuff, for, our, for our security, for our safety, for our happiness, for our life. It just comes default. I think it's in the air we breathe so much so that I don't think you can get away from it. And as I talked about, uh, I think I preached on giving, I don't know, back in October or something, and I tried to make the case that there's no way to get away from it, and we're constantly being bitten by the brown recluse of greed here. It's just everywhere. And the only hope we have is to constantly be drinking the antidote to greed, which, as Jesus teaches us, is, anyone want to shout it out? Anyone listening? Generous giving. That's right. Oh, why that, right? But it's gracious, generous giving is the only way to be constantly drinking the antidote. And so when we make this series called March Gladness, we're a little tongue-in-cheek, March Madness is going on, right? But March Gladness is insanely biblical. Less the March part, more the gladness part. The giving. Giving makes you glad, according to Jesus. Wow. What if that's true? So today is, is the last teaching in this series, and we're going to kind of do what, maybe they don't do this anymore, I don't know, uh, uh, back in the 90s at least, maybe in the th- 2000s, uh, you, you would watch your favorite sitcom and you would know every so often towards the end of the series, there might be a flashback episode, right? Where you're like, I think they made a ra- might have run out of money or something on this one because it's like 70% flashbacks to other episodes and maybe about 10, 20% new content. That math didn't add up. You get it. Today's gonna be kind of like that. We're going to take what we've been hearing from God over the past weeks and months, and we're going to kind of repackage it a little bit. And it's okay if some of this seems like we're spinning through the same territory, but hopefully we can repackage it in a way that it can connect. Um, so I'm going to repackage this in three main uh, things that I've distilled, that I've heard through this series about why we would give. First one, why do we give? We give to worship God. Giving is an act of worship, right? It's not just to give to the church because they need your money. It's giving back to God first and foremost. Giving is an act of worship. It's a worship issue. It boils down to, ultimately, what are you going to trust your life to? What are you going to trust to give your life meaning, safety, happiness, contentment, all the things? Are you going to trust 
in your stuff, in your money, in the stuff that you can hold, save, play with? Or are you going to trust in your God who says, come to me, I'm the source of your life, I will take care of you, will you follow me? It's a worship issue, and that's why churches like ours, we cannot afford to be soft on this. This is a worship issue. God is inviting us into something that deeply resonates with his call on our life to turn away from things that are our idols. Idols, yeah, money is an idol, it can be. You can look to it for your life. Turn away from our idols and learn to trust God. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a worship issue. Uh, it, so it's really normal, right, for us not to want to give, maybe even especially to church. It's normal, it's really natural. But Jesus is inviting all of his followers into something supernatural, a way that does not seem normal, but a way that maybe is just rooted in reality. He's inviting us into trust. So uh, in this way, uh, I, I, I have said kind of, I've riffed on this theme a few times before, but worship through giving is an act of rebellion, right? There's a world system ultimately that Satan is behind that's trying to do anything he can to convince humans, hey, don't trust in God for your life. Actually, you can't trust him. He's gonna let you down. At the end of the day, you've gotta secure your life. You've gotta take care of yourself. You've gotta pull yourself up, and so you should do it, and here's how you do it. Trust in your stuff. But Jesus says, nah, there's another way. So we give to worship God, all right? That's point number one. Point number two, oh yeah, I forgot a scripture verse. Every so often, it's nice to have slides. Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. They they can't go together. It's a heart issue. So it is a worship issue. Next, number two, why do we give? We give to care for others. This one almost needs no explanation, right? You don't have to be a Christian to get this one. There's a a lot of folks, even in uh, in our culture, that have gotten the idea that, hey, there's a lot of needs out there, and we've got a lot. Let's give. We give to care for others because there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of needs. We see the needs in Ukraine. We see the needs when there's big stuff going on in the world. We see the needs maybe if you know your neighbors in your neighborhood as you talk to people. There's a lot of needs, financial needs, but lots of needs, relational needs. There's a ton of needs. People who are struggling in the silent, just uh, restricted uh, space of addiction and uh, all, of the, all sorts of things, uh, addiction, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, like anxiety, depression. There's a lot of stuff. We give to care for others because money can be transformed into resources that actually do help people. And so we give to care for others, first and foremost in our church family and then out of the overflow from that into our cities and our neighborhoods and around the world. This one, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. I don't think you need convince. We give to care for others. That one's pretty obvious. Number three, the last one and the one we're going to spend kind of the most time on today, I think is the most counterintuitive, but we've already kind of hinted at it. We give to care for ourselves. Hang with me on this. We give to care for ourselves. God invites us to give. He begs us to enter a lifestyle of gracious generosity because it's good for us. It's good for us. Kind of the theme verse for this series, and it's kind of be kind of the main kind of feature passage for uh, today is Acts 20, verse 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, It is actually more blessed. The word also can be easily translated happy, blessed, the full life, the good life. It is more happy, he says, to give than to receive. Man, 
That'd be sweet if that was true. Actually, our scientists, our scientific studies are telling us this is exactly true. Recent studies, uh, I'm just going to pick one. They're all confirming. Here's an excerpt from an article from, uh, published by Utah State University. In a 2008 study, subjects were asked to rate their happiness. And then they were given an envelope containing five bucks or 20 bucks. And then the participants were randomly assigned to go spend that either on themselves or on someone else. And those who spent the money on someone else reported happier moods than those who spent the money on others. They didn't even know what the study was going to be about. All right? It was happier. They were happier spending money on others. A separate group was asked to predict outcomes of that experiment. And, uh, uh, and most of them believed that those who spent the money on themselves would be happier. But not only were those folks wrong, actually they were very wrong, significantly wrong, statistically significantly wrong. The research suggests thinking about money might propel individuals towards using their financial resources to benefit themselves, but spending money on others can provide a more effective route in increasing one's own happiness. All right, how about that? There's a ton of other studies that replicate this result. Giving begets happiness. Giving begets happiness, according to scientific research. And then happiness begets giving, which begets happiness. Happier people give more, and giving people are happier. There's this wonderful feedback mechanism that happens here. Any, uh, any parents of young kids may know the, uh, the old adage, sleep begets sleep. Like it's maybe counterintuitive, but a baby who's sleeping better tends to keep sleeping better, and a baby who's tired doesn't always sleep that great. Sleep begets sleep. And likewise, giving begets giving, because happiness is in the middle, and it keeps the feedback loop going. Jesus is calling his, uh, his disciples, his followers, to happiness, and he knows that actually we will be happier if we give away to others. He's calling us to what I, th- uh, what I call kind of a redeemed self-interest based on eternal rewards and temporal rewards, right? Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus motivates his hearers by eternal rewards. We talked about this a little bit before. There's something about eternal rewards that Jesus teaches in the scriptures over and over that's real, and he uses it to motivate his followers to give, Matthew 6, backing up to verse 19, he says, Don't store up treasures on earth for yourselves, where moth and vermin destroy vermin. Yeah, the vermin. Yes, vermin can destroy. Where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves nothing, because it's bad. Nah, that's not what he says. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And in that, he's not talking about some metaphorical sense where he's like, God will be happier with you if you give, and that will be better for you. It's not it at all. He's saying store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in chapter 6, there's at least, I think I've counted at least two other times where Jesus intentionally motivates his followers with eternal rewards. He says, whatever uh, you do, Trust that God will see and will reward you in heaven. So a little, little pause here. This is very different from, and like very importantly different from, a lot of the prosperity gospel heresy, I would say, prosperity heresy folks. You might hear on the radio or TV that say, hey, 
God wants you to be happy. And he, he wants you to give to him, which they really mean to me, so that you can get more riches. You're actually, God wants you to be rich now. Give so you can get more and get rich. That's actually not at all what he's talking about here. The context is always, always about eternal rewards, including the reality that we will be happy and that he will take care of us, right? So this isn't prosperity gospel stuff. So I want you to see that. First Timothy chapter six. So this is Paul talking to one of his younger disciples who's now leading a church. And he tells him this, as you're leading your church, what, you, what should you say to the rich folks? As for the rich in this present age, right now, the folks who are rich, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Man, he doesn't say give it all away. It's interesting. He never um, lambasts the rich for having resources and having wealth. What does he say? Don't trust in them. Trust God and do good. Use them to do good. Good works, be generous, ready to share, storing up for yourselves. Oh, there it is again, treasures as a good, firm foundation for the future. He's talking about the age to come so that they may take hold of that which is really life. He's saying, you can take this stuff that you hold in your hands. Back then, there was no Bitcoin or stuff like that, no Venmo. It was all stuff you could hold in your hands or in your pocket. Take this stuff that's made out of physical things, this stuff that is your treasure that no matter how much you clutch to it, it's going to flow through your fingers when you die. You can't take it with you. This stuff that's made out of dust and wood pulp, maybe some precious metals, take, you can take that stuff and you can transmute it. You can transform it. You can exchange it for things that will last for eternity. That would be a great idea, right? Jesus is inviting us into good investment, Good investment, not just divestment, good investment. You can exchange your temporal things for eternal things. As Ben talked about last week, he invites you to use your money kingdomly. Kingdomly. I actually really liked that one last week, Ben. Kingdomly, in light of God's kingdom and the uh, settled conviction that Jesus isn't talking just about some metaphorical thing. He's talking about a very real kingdom that is very real and very real rewards. And the eternal kingdom is coming and it's imminent. All right. Uh, one of my favorite books on this topic. So I, who, who says they have a favorite book on money? I do. Uh, on on uh, money and possessions in eternity by Randy Alcorn. It's like, it's actually like this thick. But it's one of the m- most influential books I've read outside of the Bible. There's kind of a short list. This one's actually one of them. So if you're interested in hearing more about a biblical perspective on money, it's pretty good. I commend that one to you. But he says, I think this is a really great uh, example of this analogy. He says, imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're actually a Northerner. There were some of those. And you plan to move home as soon as the war is over. And while you're living in the South, you've accumulated a lot of Confederate money. Now suppose you know for sure the North is going to win the war and the end of the war is imminent. What are you going to do with your Confederate Money. Now, this is actually the question for you. What are you going to do with your Confederate money? See where I'm going with this? This is a question for me. What are you going to do with the stuff that's about to go away? If you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, northern currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. And you might keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. Man, 
I think this is just such a powerful example of the heart set that Jesus is calling us to. Because you and I are like that, right? We are living in this in-between time where we're still here, and yet God's kingdom, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, we are citizens of his kingdom. And it's coming, and we know he's going to win, and we know that it's actually, at some point, this, this stuff's all going to go away. This economy is going away, and Jesus is bringing him in a whole new economy. And he invites us into it, and he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's crazy. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you say, thank you, Jesus? That's really great to know about this exchange rate. I will do that. Sounds great. And yet the problem is we are deeply invested in this world's treasure. It's where we're at. That's not a problem in itself, but the problem is deeply being invested in this world's system makes you blind and stupid. It puts you to sleep, and all of a sudden, so quickly, you begin to think that this is all there is. And the other stuff, maybe it's like after you die, something maybe. But you live your life as if it's actually not that true. You live your life now based on the physical stuff you've got, earthly treasures. Because at the end of the day, we talked about this a little bit, we are rich. Not like kingdom of God rich, not like metaphorical rich. You and I are actually rich in money according to all adjusted for all the things, you know, looking at everyone else in the world. We've seen how even the poor, even our poverty line folks here are rich compared to the rest of the world, like top 10% rich. We are rich, and we don't know it. We don't act like it. We don't feel like it. And that's a problem. It's a problem. It reminds me of a, a story about a street urchin and a king. A street urchin and the king. The story goes, uh, there was a boy who was an orphan, and he lived on the streets. He had to scrape get by. Nobody really cared for him, and he was dressed in rags, and uh, you would find him huddled up in a corner clutching uh, stale bread, uh, you know, hiding it desperately, trying to eke out a living, fending off robbers. You get the idea. And one day, the king comes through town, and he notices the boy, and he loves him. He has pity on him, compassion on him. He loves him. He sees him and he brings him near and he decides he's going to bring him home to the palace with him. And he decides he's actually going to adopt him as his very own son. And everything that he has is going to be this kid's. This kid is now a prince, not just a metaphorical prince, an actual prince in the kingdom. Everything has changed, right? He's got this luxurious bedroom with the red. I don't know why red. I'm just, maybe I'm picturing like a sultan or something. Like, this. The, like the red pillows. There's like, I don't know. What would an amazing bed look like? Is it an amazing bed with the canopy and the four posts? I don't know. Or is it the pottery barn thing with the distressed wood? And it's a little white, but it's off-white with the white bed cover. That's where he is. He's got tons of amazing clothes, and he's got 24-hour room service, even though there's three royal feasts a day, right? You get the picture. And here's the kicker. Here's what I want you to see. And yet, night after night, the king would come in, and he would find the boy asleep beside his bed on the floor with dry dinner rolls stuffed in his pockets, Even though it was all his, 
He lived as if he was still on the streets, as if, even though he was in the palace, he didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. So brother, sister, that's you, and that's me, that's us. That is our default as Americans, especially Americans who come to Christ. We've been adopted into his family. Do you see this is your story? This is your story. You used to have to fend for yourself because you live in a world that doesn't work right. Before Christ came and took care of you, before you let him take care of you, he, uh, the, you and I, we were on the streets trying to take care of ourselves and it wasn't safe. But you and I have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He has called you near and you are his now. You are his daughter. You are his son. You're a princess and a prince and he, everything he has is yours. Uh, Luke 12, Jesus is looking out at the crowds and he's trying to teach them this, this, and he knows they're afraid. And he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. The father wants to give you everything and it's all yours. And yet we have stories. He knows that we've got pasts, we've got a culture around us, we've all got things that keep us on the floor, beside the bed, with dinner rolls in our pocket, unable to fully trust and relax into the care of God, much less to step into this place where we gain the heart of the Father and we start to give away, right? We're clutched onto the you know, dinner rolls in our pockets. Old habits are really hard to break. But Jesus is so patient with you. He's so patient with me, I'm so glad. I'm actually pretty thick-headed on this one. I have a natural bent towards fear about money, like I'm not gonna have enough, even though I've never not had enough. I'm always afraid, often afraid, my default is that I'm not gonna have enough, and I stick the dinner rolls in my pocket. Even when there's more and more dinner rolls, you'll find a lot in my pocket. That's my brand of greed that I tend to be seduced by. It's not the spender kind, I'm the saver kind, but both look to money for their life. But Jesus is so kind and patient with us. He knows that the pathway to joy is not only to become an, you know, a son and a daughter and to live in the palace. That's a great first step. But the pathway to joy is to release our hearts from the chains that bind us and to help us to live free and full so that we gain the heart of the Father and we give. And maybe this could be the little soundbite that you take away from this. Children of the king find joy as they give away their father's stuff. That's where they find the joy. You may find peace as you begin to live in the palace, but joy comes as you give away the father's stuff. And so folks who stick dinner rolls in their pockets, that's what the evil one wants. That's what folks who are uh, you know, still connected, still kind of clutched by greed, who are still unsure that God is good and can be trusted. But folks who give away Right? Those are maturing, growing princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. That's what they do. And it's a process. And so what I want you to hear today is that Jesus is kind towards you. The story could have gone, and so when the father saw the son laying on the floor with dinner rolls in his pockets, he's like, you ungrateful, whatever. You're done. Why, when are you going to get it? Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He only has harsh words for folks who think that they've got it all together and that they don't need him. For, for those of us who struggle with this, who are still afraid and timid, he is so gentle and so patient, so patient. 
He's patient with you this morning as you are learning to give in the midst of a culture that makes it real hard, not to mention a fallen humanity that makes it real hard. Jesus said, it's more happy to give than to receive. And not only is he trying to help you to learn to worship him and be in line with reality, not only is he trying to get you to take care of others because the needs are great, he's also trying to care for you because giving is better for you and he loves you. He wants you to have the full life, the full happy life that you've always wanted. It's just the doorway to that looks like what seems like death. Our culture tells you, giving away your stuff, actually, that's not the good life. Getting more, saving more, putting more in retirement so you can have the good life, spending more on that new iPhone. I did this time. I, 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 my old one finally died. I'd always been such a saver, but this time I got the 13 Pro Max in a moment of weakness. And it's awesome. I scratched the screen within the first few weeks and it was devastating. But you know what? It didn't really last. It's just there now. I'm glad I've got a working phone. When you spend money on yourself, you get this little bump. Sometimes it's a big bump, but it doesn't last. The only thing that lasts is learning to be generous and to give money away especially in light of eternity. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Let's land this series. Here are the practical next steps that I would like to leave with you. Number one, become a child of the king. If you've never accepted the invitation of the king of the universe to step into his family, to move into the palace with him and let him adopt you as his son or a daughter, that's your first step. Don't wait. You don't know what the future is gonna hold. Don't wait, become a child of the king. Because of what Jesus, your older brother, has done for you, you can be welcomed in. Your sin is taken care of and paid for if you just say, yeah, I want in on that. So let yourself be adopted. See what God would do. Everyone else, oh, we're back to the giving thing. If everything that I'm saying, if everything that Jesus has said in his scriptures is bunk, this is a threat. Giving 10% back to God through your church, getting up to that training wheels of giving. Oh man, that's actually, remember, it's like the baseline, the beginning parts of a generous heart, especially for rich American generous hearts. Oh man. But if what Jesus said is actually true, if he's not only smart, but he's the king of the universe that sees everything and he loves you and is inviting you into a way that brings you more life and more happiness, if he's inviting you to exchange your temporal things, your dust in your pocket, the dinner rolls, and exchange it for treasure in heaven that will last, and happy that happens now, happy that happens, then actually this is the most loving thing. Oh, that the Lord would show you that he is loving when he invites you to give, to peel your fingers from the dinner rolls, and receive the riches, both in this life and in the life to come, that he has for you. So if you're not giving, start somewhere. If 10% sounds too scary, start somewhere. Start somewhere and see what God does. Next, give above and beyond that to others. Oh, yeah, it's the same stuff. Give 10% and then give more. <laughs> Again, if what Jesus says is true, this is great. Give more. You can make it fun. You can give to your church if you don't know what else to do. Great, that's a great default. Uh, our church uh, uh, financially supports various other ministries. We don't keep all the money we get. 
And so uh, one of the ministries we support here in town is Helping International Students, the HIS program. Excellent program. Welcomes all, we've got this crazy opportunity to invite in. And we have so many international students that don't know Jesus. So they, they help provide folks with um, you know, orientation to living here, but also with loving relationships, friendships with people like you who want to love them with the genuine love of Christ. We also support Orphan Helpers. It's a, it's a global ministry that, it, that helps to uh, come alongside orphaned juveniles in the detention center in Central America, in the prisons, and to help them to find not only new life skills, but freedom in Christ. It's an amazing ministry. We support them. We also have a neighboring fund that we give into each month that lets us support different things that's happening in our city. You guys, maybe you don't know this, you have access to the Tallgrass at the Well Neighboring Fund. It has, you know, a, a few thousand dollars in there. And if you've got uh, a neighboring opportunity, if you have an, uh, you know, something that you want to lean into, and it's a little more than you've got right now, there's money. Come, talk to us. We would love to partner with you to release kingdom funds into our neighborhoods. There's so many other things. Make it fun. It actually can become fun. And then finally, and this one may be the harder one, we've got this cultural topic or taboo around this topic. We don't talk about money, not just in church, but really at all. We need to talk more together about our money and our giving, right? I think we really need to normalize and destigmatize this topic because Jesus sees giving as a core discipleship issue. He's helping us to become more like him. We need to talk about this more. You don't have to come up here and tell everyone how much you make and how much you give, necessarily. But we need to talk more about this in our discipling relationships, in our small groups. This needs to be a topic that's not off the table, especially if it's good for us. We need to talk more about this together. So to kind of end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite three guys up uh, who this week, we were just talking about it. So uh, you guys can go ahead and come up, Paxton, Dylan, Chris, and uh, I, there's a wireless mic somewhere. You made it easy for me to, by putting it right here. <laughs> That's right. You made it so easy. All right. And uh, here, I'll let you go first. So uh, Dylan, I guess I'm over here. Can I be in the middle? This is weird. I'm in the middle. All right. So these guys are up here not because they have amazing giving stories, although maybe they do. But we were talking about this this week in semi-normal conversation. And so these are three guys that I just thought, hey, let's begin to normalize this conversation together. And uh, in many ways, the, the more normal the, the, the thing you share, the better, right? It doesn't have to be this huge, amazing thing. But we want to encourage one another, encourage one another about this topic. So Dylan, why don't you start? You and I were talking uh, today about, or today, this week, about a, a time in your life when you had an opportunity to give, and it, and it was scary, but then it worked out. Maybe would you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, we gave $10 to someone, and we got back 500000 No. no. <laughs> that would be not sweet. not what we were going That for. would be really sweet, no, actually. No, my, mine is very normal. There was no, like, crazy cool thing that happened at the end. It was just we got to be part of this cool thing. So uh, uh, we had a couple that was uh, in our church early on, and... Um, they invested in us, and we loved them very much, and they were getting ready to move off and join a new ministry in uh, a different town, and um, they were support raising. And so at the time, we were both full-time uh, working, and I had just made the decision that we were going to step away from that. I was going to go back to school full-time. So we had cut my salary in half and then add all of the school funds and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So we were really cutting like a lot of money out of our lives. 
and we'd already cut a ton of stuff of like monthly subscriptions and different things and cutting back on eating out and stuff like that. And so when they came to us and said, hey, we'd like for you guys to support us with whatever you guys can offer uh, per month and uh, just invest in us while we go off and, and love college students in a ministry. And so we, we uh, all right, let's talk about it. We'll see what we can do. And we, we set on giving, you know, what they'd ask and um, we like, where are we going to get this from? Let's scrape it together each month and like figure out where, what we can cut back. And we did. And uh, like I said, there wasn't this crazy thing that happened at the end. We were able to, I mean, sure, people gave to us randomly. And there were some people who loved us that invested in us and gave us some financial gifts. But mainly it was, we got to hear about what they were doing. We got to like join in on their ministry mm-hmm. and, and just hear about the, the lives that they were helping change and just love on college students. And, and I know how much uh, uh, college ministries can mean. It, it changed my life. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was just joyful to just be a part of awesome. hearing what they're doing. So Awesome. And you yeah. didn't regret it. And you had it. Yeah, enough. I regret it. No, I don't regret it at all. <laughs> yeah, we, That's we were great. able to do that for a little over two years, and we still get all their letters and uh, updates, and so it, it's been a relationship that we've continued. So That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Do you see how semi-normal that was? Right? All right, Paxton, you've got a, uh, you and I were talking, you had a, a, another very normal one. Uh, would you just share briefly with us about the, uh, the memorable Christmas? Working on it. There, there we, we go. go. All right, now I can hear myself. Yeah. So mine probably more dovetails with the part of your sermon where kind of like the happiness study. Yeah. That you were sharing about. So um, I grew up in the church, and so the the tray passing every Sunday was was normal. We talked about that in in my, our home life. So like that part really wasn't too big of a stretch for me. And and so as I grew up, that was that was normal. But when I first started making like some decent money um, when I was out of high school and um, I, Christmas was coming up and I just remember, uh, you know, Chris was, Chris McClatchy, who's running the soundboard, he's my brother-in-law and um, just a gift that I got for him and a gift I got for my mom or two that really stuck out for me that year. Um, I just, I had some money, like, I was like, oh, what am I going to do for this Christmas? And there was needs there of, I don't think Chris really needed an amp for his car stereo system. He did. He totally but did. We loved that. Like, <laughs> we loved talking, you know, car stereos and stuff like that. We were younger, you know, so we just, you know, talk about that fun stuff. So, so I got him this really cool amp that costs, you know, a nice chunk of money. And for you know me, I, you know, when you're making minimum wage or a little bit more, it's not like I was rolling in the dough, but it was like I'm, I'm like making money. So I was like, felt pretty good. So, but my mom, she, hers was a little bit more practical. She was a school teacher, and in the wintertime, she would help get the kids onto the school bus uh, in elementary school. And so in the wintertime, you know, it's cold and whatnot. So I found this, like, full-length coat. Mm-hmm. And when I was at the mall shopping and everything for Christmas stuff, and it was, like, 230 bucks. And I was like, can I afford it? Yes, I can. And so I did. And it was just a gift that blessed her. And, uh, and so, I don't know, it was just, like, that Christmas, I had money. And I just decided to spend it frivolously, or generously, not frivolously. <laughs> uh, frivolously for, nice. for me and, and my bank account, which was nice, but it wasn't anything like what we're talking about, like an adult would have today. And, you, and you remember but, that. But I remember that. And, and the, my sister and, and, and so on, I, and my brother, I gave them like really nice gifts that cost a nice chunk of money. But I always remember that. 
like that, it always just continues to like have that spot in my heart that was, it was just an enjoyable Christmas. I gave lavishly. And, and it was and fun. It felt awesome. Right. So I don't know, that's, that's just a story. I appreciate you sharing that. From, uh, my younger Yeah, so days. you gave mm-hmm. and it was sacrificial mm-hmm. and it was still actually fun. Yeah, I think you had mentioned that you don't remember the other stuff you've gotten for Christmas, but you remember that Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And I so, love that. Yeah, I, I love that. I remember every gift I get, but man, giving, I, I totally remember, remember that. Thank you for sharing that. All right, now last one. Now, Chris, uh, you had shared with me a little bit earlier this week uh, about... Uh, something that the Lord's been kind of putting on your heart or making you think about uh, as you continue to, to, to have advancement in your job and stuff like that. Would you just briefly fill us in on what the Lord's been kind of... Yeah, I would first like to add that around Paxton here. has a KU pin on, which I'm sure was overvalued. Um. Overvalued? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Yeah. All um, right, we're done. My name's... Uh... <laughs> My name is Chris Swanson. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm an appraiser for Frontier Farm Credit here in town. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working towards my certification, so I'm becoming somewhat of an expert in land value. Um, but I also see a lot of decisions that people are making. Um, you know, I see time after time after time um, these recreational properties that are being bought. And it's... Um, we're talking like this guy lives in Alaska, um, uh, just bought you know a quarter of ground with a um, with a cabin on it, paid a million dollars for it. Um, he's going to see that place maybe three times a year to go hunt. Um, and as I advance in my career, and and I think we all you know uh, we hope to see our wages inflate over time, right? You know, the question becomes, I'm, I'm going to eventually pay off my house. Um, I'm not going to have any debts, and I'm, I'm going to have um, all this disposable income. Do, do I want to be, uh, do I want to save up this money and to buy a recreational property for a million dollars that I'm only going to see three times a year? Um, you know, is, is, that, is, is that what I want to do with... with uh, with my wealth that God, that God is going to give me. Um, and I'm at this point in my life where I can, I know that I don't have a love of money right now. I can see it. I'm out, I'm outside of that because I don't have a ton of money right now. Right. Um, but hopefully as that wealth begins to accumulate, is, is that something that's going to grow within me? Am I going to start to love money? Mm. How do I stop that? Mm. Um, what am I going to do with all this wealth? Um, because I got the rest of my life to make it, um, so that's that's something I'm really struggling with right now. Really wrestling with is what 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 am I going to do with the rest of my life? With the rest of what the rest of the, the wealth that God gives me? Mm, I so appreciate you sharing that. I think that's 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 so uh, it's so normal. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Hey, thank you guys. Why don't you give them a hand? They shared about money and giving in front of a church. Yeah, if you guys have a second, would you grab these stools off there, Chris? That'll help me out here. Grab a stool. All right. So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with the question. So what's one of your stories? What's one of your stories? If you're up here, what would be something you would share? What's the Lord uh, putting on your heart? If you have a specific action step that were to come away from this um, series, what would it be? And maybe you spend just a, a, a few seconds here in quiet before God and you ask him, What's, what's the next step?
towards giving and receiving gladness. Jesus, I pray that you would uh, speak to us on that topic and that you would give us a clear sense, not only of your care for us, but of your next, uh, next step invitation into joy. Help us to become a church even more that is uh, released, not only for good works, but for joy. Lord, do something really good through our church, through Targus at the Well, as we're kind of revisioning, as we're going through this process, as we're ending this March gladness time. I pray that you would do something good through us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.